Hey y'all, I am Ted King. I am your host as always, and welcome to another edition, a very special edition of King of the Ride podcast. So special. Why special? I uh, I woke up a little bit sore, battered, and bruised. Uh, I got up to, to, of course, get a drink of water in the middle of the night, um, and I hardly could get out of bed. Um, we're in the Emporia, Kansas, dirty Kansas hangover stage. It's the day after. I, uh, I had one beer, one burrito, and one margarita last night and was asleep uh, probably well before 11 p.m., um, yeah, 206 miles. It was something special. I, I may have had a good deal of luck on my side. Um, as opposed to last year, I had no flats. The bike, my clothes, my support crew, everything worked flawlessly. Um, I say clothes in particular because I was using this new post-prototype, now into production, uh, the radiator jersey, which was awesome in the brutal heat. Kansas in in June, early June. I can't even imagine what goes on in in July and August. It was hot. It was it was incredibly windy. A good oh twenty plus twenty five mile an hour wind out of the north. Maybe that's not right. Maybe it was like eight, but you know it feels brutal. Um, you're just riding into a into a hair dryer. Anyway, came away with a win. Um, I'm ecstatic about that. I want myself a belt buckle. It's beautiful. It's gonna pair with. Uh, now I have two belt buckles. I'm proud to say. Myself and Dan Hughes, um, Dan Hughes and I are the only multi-time Dirty Kansas winner. And Dan, of course, being the, the guest on our last episode in a little pre-Dirty Kansas chat. Um, even the Arabars were up to the job, so thank you to Zip for that. It's a, it's, Arabars are a funny, hot topic. I say in this regard, all press is good press. Um, we, we're going to delve into the topic of Arabars on this fireside chat, so give that a listen. Um, yeah, we just wrapped up the awards ceremony here in the downtown Regal Granada Theater. Um, it's a really cool event. It's it's I like these sort of events that become multi-day. I mean, people have been here for a week plus. Um, Joe really gets going on the road, uh, kicks into gear three days ago. I mean, the expo is going off, um, a lot of pre-ride festivities and then a ride that of course is on saturday it is sunday today it was it's so cool i mean awarding the folks who've done like like dan talks about in the last last episode the folks are in the thousand mile club um the folks who did the dkxl 35 350 miles of kansas countryside it was a great year the community at the theater this morning was outstanding and then of course the point of this podcast is I uh, I grabbed Leland Danes. He is of DK Promotions. He's one of the uh, co-owners of this event. Um, and we had a previously agreed upon doing this podcast. I imagine he didn't realize he, how tired he would be. He didn't sleep last night. And I slept quite a bit, but I'm still freaking exhausted. But I'm really glad we sat down. I told him, hey, man, if we talk for 15 minutes, um, I, would be, I would be very grateful. And we ended up talking for a good long while. So give this a listen. Uh, thank you all for staying tuned to listening to King of the Ride podcast to leave your reviews on whatever app you're using to listen. Um, shoot me questions. He is tedking at gmail.com or on the social media, all things I am Ted King. Hope you're having a great week and yeah, keep on, keep on trucking. How to see you out there. Take care. Bye-bye.
New York. I used Not to right live now. in unique New York upstate. Catskills. Yeah, two hours. What town? Um, not a town really. I guess Claryville was the nearest town, but I worked at Frost Valley YMCA. It's the largest Y on the East Coast. No kidding. By members? Um, I don't know what they, well, it's, it's an outdoor facility. So it was a outdoor learning ed during the week and then convention and kind of weekend retreat center on the weekends. Far out. So inner city kids would come up and spend three days, you know, if they're studying geology, we'd go show them rocks and yeah. do pond exploration and canoeing. And that's a beautiful part of the country. Yeah. Much like right here. I enjoyed it. Um, loved the, the terrain and the topography, but I could not stand the length of the winters. Yes, that's true. Coldness, it wasn't, it wasn't any colder than here. In fact, it was slightly warmer because our winds are biting. Mm-hmm. Um, Have I mentioned that we're moving back to the East Coast? Laura and I? Yeah, I know. Literally tomorrow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay. All right. Without further ado, um, Leland Danes, welcome to the King of the Ride podcast. Dude, I am stoked to be here. Oh, that is very kind. So... We are in the immediate aftermath of Dirty Kanza. We are sitting in the media room, so we'll probably get a pretty solid echo in here. Um, in fact, oh, let's rotate, and then we're going to talk into a soundboard. Boom. Look at that. Acoustics Emporia, just got a thousand, a thousand times better. The soundboard. Um, man, what is it? It's probably 10 a.m. on Sunday. It's June 3rd. It's the day after Kanza. Um, Leland, tell me who you are in your relationship to Dirty Kanza. Yeah, well, um, I guess I have a, a number of roles. I'm a, I'm a Dirty Kansas finisher. I'm a Dirty Kansas sag crew in, in former life. And I eventually returned to my hometown of Emporia, Kansas to become a part owner of Dirty Kansas. And so titles are really tough for us around here. Um, it runs the gamut. So um, we just all kind of look at each other and say, pull up the bootstraps and get the job done. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's nice. the title, I guess. <laughs> uh, we're... we're Wrapping up the 13th, 13, 13 editions of dirty Kanza. Holy moly. Um, and I understand you did not sleep last night. No, I have not gone to sleep yet, which is about 3 a.m. yesterday. So you have a three month old daughter. So in a way that might be, I tell you what, I've been training for dirty Kanza for three months. My daughter was born (laughs) on March 7th and she immediately got me going on a sleep deprivation program. Perfect. Um, she was very, uh, you know, regimented and diligent. It's very disciplined Uh in sticking to that. And, uh, she made sure I was awake every two to three hours, especially in the early months. That's outstanding. And so I feel fantastic. Your peak fitness. And, and you were awake the whole night because you stand at the finish line and you Congratulate, hug, high five every finisher. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, uh, because of the 30 minute lightning delay in the morning, that right. meant our 3 a.m. finish became 3.30 a.m. Mm. And our 3.30 a.m. finish became uh, about 3.45 because our last few DKXL riders were coming in. So oh, brutal. Yeah. So once we uh, wrapped up those hugs and, uh, sent those folks back home to sleep a little bit, we began the cleanup process. My goodness. That's mm-hmm. right. I didn't even occur to me that downtown Emporia, Commercial Street, is absolutely clean from... It is wide open to traffic. The and crazy looks, Basically looks like nothing happened. Which is super impressive for no shortage of reasons. Um, I mean, to the to the uninformed, the folks who have not been here, and I encourage everybody to come to Dirty Kansas, uh, downtown becomes an absolute festival. It's a circus. It's a, it's a town fair every 
correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like every person in Emporia knows about it in the surrounding communities and comes out and there's food and there's, uh, there's blow up bouncy houses. Uh, yeah. there is knickknacks. It, I don't know. I mean, how do you describe it? Well, we, we affectionately call it a circus. Absolutely. We call it the circus is coming to town and, and because for a number of reasons, not just the size and complexity of it, but the, that, uh, cyclists kind of look like clowns to people from the Midwest, or at least they used to, <laughs> Yeah. um, it was kind of this foreign deal and we might as well had makeup wig, rainbow wigs and uh, red noses, you know, but, uh, <laughs> so we kind of, we kind of felt like we were a little bit oddballs and that this was a real weird, big kind of funky deal. And so it was definitely a circus and so how does this even get planted on the map because the community when i tell people about dirty kanza and i sit and they ask you know what's the allure for me it really is the community and you know i had a past life racing pro tour world tour and now i'm doing a whole lot of gravel events um and i love the community at all of them and emporia and dirty kanza has a very unique one in that um it's a lot of folks who i think otherwise wouldn't be riding bikes and they are gravitating to yeah. the dirty cans and gravitating to it. I mean, so much of the community goes out and actually races the DK. How, how did this event start? What's the, what's the genesis there? Well, yeah, Jim Cummins and Joel Dyke really deserve the credit for that. You know, Joel and had gone up and done trans Iowa back in 2005. Um, they came back and said, Hey, you know, this is cool, but we've got amazing gravel. The Flint Hills are in our backyard and uh, we should attempt something similar. And so that's really the Genesis story. The first edition in 2006 had 34 riders and this year we had 2,700 registered wow. and that was capped by design. There was certainly more design, uh, more demand mm -hmm. um, that we didn't feel we could safely handle. Mm -hmm. So um, how do you go from 34 riders to <laughs> 2,700 plus? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of moving parts to that answer, but there's a few that are pretty obvious. Um, I think people have slept on the Midwest charm, you know, especially in bike racing. Um, there's, there wasn't racing outside of industrial park crits probably throughout the Midwest. Maybe KC had some scenes. Cyclocross was real popular, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's still thriving, but, uh, it really had its heyday and, you know, KC hosted some national championships. So you had that scene kind of going on, but that wasn't built around a downtown or a community that was in a park again, very similar, at least mm -hmm. it's nature, not industrial, but it's still a park. Yep. Um, and so I think, people were just kind of oblivious because there's not a huge population through the, the plain States. There wasn't a lot of bike racing going on. And so the Midwest charm definitely hooked people when they, when we got downtown and people um, were received by Emporians, that was huge. Mm -hmm. The Flint Hills, we just dumb luck. We lived here and we, it's a rad place to, to yeah. ride your bike. It is so remote, so rugged. It's one of only two um, tall grass preserves left in the world. Wow. Um, completely pristine, untouched prairie. Um, so that's pretty rad. You don't see that every day and, uh, sure. Some hard work, some elbow grease. Um, this is not an easy gig. Sure. Um, I would definitely tell you I'm living the dream that I want to be, be doing. This is the job that I want for the foreseeable future, but it, it does not come without its heartache and hardships and struggles. Yep. So yep. Uh, you got to put it, put that in, into the equation. So, and, uh, those are some key factors for sure. And then just a whole lot of, like we said, that, that Midwestern charm and, uh, the help that comes along with it. They just want to throw down with you and say, Hey, what can we do? How do we get involved with yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. I was at, I talked about this the other day. I was at the grocery store checking out, you know, in, in civilian clothes. Um, but given the, the goofy items that I was buying and they could tell that these are my on, uh, on course snacks and they, the woman checked me out and said, this is the greatest thing that's happened to this community. She was sort of over the moon. Um,
Our cashiers are astute, mind you, and it's not that you look inherently different, but they they can peg you from a mile away. You're not oh, from yeah. here. Oh yeah, they got you. Yeah, I, I don't think the the helmet strapped hands around the ears <laughs> helps me out. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, you certainly had development in the number of events you have. So uh, yeah. 13 years ago, it was 34 crazy souls going on this event. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first year to have the NICA, the high school race. Yeah. First year having the DKXL, which is just uh, a masochistic and awesome event, 350 <laughs> miles, honoring, honored with what 34 to, to commemorate right. the original number. That's right. Um, it, yeah, I mean it's it's amazing the the development here in town where we sit now in the media room. It's right next to Moan Standard, which is one of a handful of new bike shops. Is that right? Or I mean, they're a beautiful shop. Yeah, for sure. So there's two things going on next door. Moan Standard is uh, one of our business partners that runs Dirty Kanza, Tim Moan. That's his project. And he shares a roof with Gravel City Adventure, with, which that's is right. uh, uh, co-owned by basically the same group of people. So um, there's definitely some synergy going there. And, um, you know, we definitely needed a retail outlet for that, for our sponsors especially, and for some of the things we wanted to do. And so this is a town of 25,000 people with three bike shops in the Midwest. <laughs> and you better believe me, when we were kicking around the idea of opening uh, the doors to this, a lot of folks, a lot of big brands said, no, that yeah. space won't work. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to say that we're kicking some tail. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, my wife, Laura, works for Velocio. She knew it was a successful shop and the pop-up this weekend was <laughs> absurdly uh, successful. Good. Yeah, so she was pleased. She was st- stoked. Uh, the, <laughs> the trailer that Tim has d- built out is a beautiful little pop-up shop. So that's really cool. Um, can you forecast the future? What do you, what do you, outside of going to sleep here shortly, <laughs> what's on the horizon? And yeah. feel free to say who the heck knows. I mean, keep on going well, status quo. That's definitely a part of it. I mean, <clears throat> we try very hard to plan. I think that's just smart and proper. You got to look towards the future. And there's some things that we obviously know. Um, this inaugural high school event was not just some standalone, let's have a high school event at Dirty Kansas. That was part of, that was the kickoff of our efforts to create a NICA statewide league here in Kansas. Uh-huh. And we fully anticipate that that'll be built around gravel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably be the first of its kind in that respect and so there's a much larger vision to that and there's kind of a uh, and and real quick to listen yeah. if you're not familiar with nica yeah for that sure. is the well in a subsequent podcast coming up here shortly i speak with austin mckinney the president of nica super cool guy um and it's the high school mountain bike league and sure in these uh given the terrain we have around here you're not going to go deep into the single track um, right i know there is some in various other parts but yeah you have just outstanding outstanding world-class gravel roads yeah um so yeah it was it was a launch of nika here yeah for sure so we're and make no mistake we are like in the i'm just hitting the button out of the basement trying to get back to ground floor on the stage of this so we are far far from it this is a process and and that's really a testament to the good work that nika does Mm -hmm. um how thorough and detail oriented they are um they're very protective of the the kids that uh people potentially want to serve and so they want to go through the process right and that's um 18 months minimum you Mm -hmm. know to Mm -hmm. get that off the ground so when we talk about this right now it is dirty Kansas high school race um, but that's a launch pad to something bigger and any revenue we generated on that event this year goes to our dirty Kansas youth cycling fund which is money that we are going to donate 
to this uh, startup league. And, That's awesome. Uh, I guess for the moment, I'm the de facto leader of uh, the fledgling board that we're trying to put together. And it's kind of the punishment of raising your hand or opening your mouth. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so um, we're in the process of just going across the state. Now that DK's done, I'm going to start a town hall series where I'm going to the bike shops across the state and say, who's going to raise their hand with me? Yeah. Um, who wants to join this board and kind of lead this and direct it and, and show where this is going to go with us? Um, who wants to be the coaches of these kids? Who wants to start these clubs? because Dirty Kansas cannot do this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, Leland Danes cannot do this alone. So mm-hmm. we're definitely going to need some some folks to raise their hand and join the team. Makes total sense. Um, yeah, I mean, Kansas is, not, Kansas is not known as a necessarily a hotbed cycling state, but uh, Dan Hughes over at Sunflower up in Lawrence, Kansas, I mean, he took me under his wing. He The last podcast was with Dan. Um He's a huge community up there, huge cycling community. Yeah. And I mean, he could hopefully he and the surrounding community could build that out and, and you know, build up a high school league. And for I mean, sure, it's a, it's a fun university town. And heck, you got good single track up there. Make it a make it a high school. No town. doubt. Well, I got to hit you with some stats real quick, because Kansas has not been a hotbed for cycling, uh, but it's it's getting there um, out of the twenty seven hundred registered. A little over a thousand were from Kansas. No way. Uh, Three hundred and fifty of those were from within 30 miles of Emporia, Kansas, easily the largest um, city area represented in the event. And um, that's not by accident. We're building them. We're growing them. We're homegrown. Mm -hmm. so kansas is becoming that it's uh just gravel yeah that's outstanding totally unsanctioned totally you know there's no numbers you can go check off to see oh how many registered riders are there in kansas because it's just uh still relatively underground in that respect it's man it's so cool and it's certainly understood that this is no mistake i mean i think a lot of people Look at an event say, I want an event. I want to create a gravel event. I want to have a party afterwards. And sure, you can do that with your dozen cycling buddies. But to do that at the scale you've done is is clearly not by accident. Um, and here in town, I mean, you've got bike racks in town that I'm sure weren't there 13 years ago. Uh, Mulready's bar across the street. It's, it's certainly taken on a cycling feel. Um, so yeah, I mean to to interact and to interweave with the the surrounding town with the town, it's uh, it's just it is so unique. Um, no matter the places I've been, the races I've partaken in, uh, this is such a such a fun vibe. Yeah, I mean Mulready's. I mean their motto is <clears throat> ride bikes, drink beer. There's a coffee shop in town called. Uh, gravel city roasters uh-huh. um so you know you think of uh motor city detroit you know music city nashville all that kind of stuff this is gravel city this is the gravel capital and, yeah. and nothing says that more than other businesses that have nothing to do with bikes saying yeah. yeah this is who we are right this is what we're about let's get behind it yeah so you you brought in some hitters this year um which i think speaks to the industry and the sponsors saying hey we got to bring our hitters in Sven Nies, Jens Voigt, uh, Jeff Kabush, uh, shoot, what else you got? Oh, gosh, the list was pretty long. I mean, Payson McElveen was yeah, out there, two-time yeah, yeah. Uh, marathon mountain bike national Man, champ. I was terrified of him. Um, great community. We roll out in the first few miles. I introduced myself. We chatted for a while. But, yeah, he's the two-time U.S. national marathon mountain bike champion. Yeah. He is the... 
that's his his job is to race fast for long periods of time off road. So I was like, oh man, who's this hitter? I haven't heard how his day went yet, but I'm pretty sure he didn't finish. So he certainly um, he ran into some some mechanicals early on. Uh, yeah. My understanding is, you know, okay, what five a.m. Sky opens up something fierce. If you open your phone app right then, similar to two years ago, it says it's bright and sunshiny. If you open the Doppler weather, you see a whole lot of angry red. Um, so yeah, we got some last minute rain, postponed the start 30 minutes, turn right, uh, to go from pavement to, to the first sector of gravel. And I think he got a little bit of bad luck there. Mm. He came back up through the field. I saw him throughout the day. Uh, but then maybe probably three hours in, maybe the last time I saw him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you were asking about these heavy hitters. I mean, <clears throat> we kind of sit back, and to be honest, you guys come to us. Yeah, um, We don't go around asking for anyone. We don't say, hey, um, you ought to come do this. Other than Lawrence Tendam, I've been in his ear for a LTD. couple of years. But Dude, you know he'd be here in a heartbeat. He won't retire. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's just, like you were saying, that's a sign of the sponsors wanting those riders here, and we're super, super happy for that, but we don't seek that out. We're mm -hmm. not knocking on folks' doors um, to us, and you you just came from the award ceremony. Yeah. I mean, the local Boy Scout troop was celebrated as much as Ted King was for winning <laughs> uh, a second buckle, you know? Uh -huh. um, and because they're every bit as special as Ted King. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and those kids were rocking it out there, riding 25, 50, even a hundred miles. Mm -hmm. Every single kid from that troop that started, um, finished their distance. Yeah. Including um, one kid who walked the final five miles. Yeah. That's outstanding. <laughs> yeah. And so for when you have guys like Yins and Sven here and they're not even, um, a part of the awards ceremony, I think that kind of speaks to what gravel is about. Mm -hmm. Um, now granted that they had a great day and, and been up there, they'd have been recognized all the same, but, um, that's just not what, what our key focus is. This is a race and we want to honor those that, uh, ride hard and rip their legs off. But, um, we also want to recognize the good things of life that cycling brings. And that's a huge, huge part of it. And that's, Tapping into a question that I'm getting a lot of, and, and the purpose of this podcast is talking about, you know, uh, a little bit of the, the history of the sport and the current state of the sport and more so the future of the sport, cycling in general. And gravel is burgeoning right now. Gravel is the hottest thing going on. And it's, I think it shows no signs of slowing down. A lot of the questions that I get from listeners is how do we prevent it from jumping the shark how do we prevent gravel because it has such a cool vibe how do we prevent it from uh, being too competitive yeah i have my theories i'm curious yours yeah for sure you know this is something i struggle with on the surface and don't get super super deep into and and maybe we're getting to a preteen, teenage state of maturity for gravel where yeah. we're trying to figure out who we are and what we like and what we want to be and who we want to associate with and all that sort of stuff um so maybe this is really the time to really start digging on that but um you know, when I sit back and think about mountain biking and cyclocross and really the genesis of any cycling discipline, it was um, very grassroots mm -hmm. and it was a very small pockets of people doing pretty rad stuff. And we know where the state of those today and it's um, USAC cycling sanctioned mountain bike events and cyclocross is very geared towards um, winning a series going to your state national championships yada yada and so uh, and, and make no mistake there's great renegade events out there still in both of those disciplines but um, when you think about mountain biking or cyclocross you pretty much think about structured racing that's where that's where it is today and so how do we prevent gravel from going there do we want to prevent gravel from going there i mean 
sometimes I try to be super altruistic about it and just be like gravel will be what it will be and yeah. let, let the people yeah. decide, so to speak. And, um, who's to say that, uh, showing up in skin suits and uh, dropping in your error bars is wrong. Who's to say right. that's w- worse or better than, than the alternatives. Um, gravel started because you could show up and ride whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be ridiculed on your road bike with 28s, but Hey, we'll accept <laughs> you. We'll let you ride. We'll let yeah. you into the yeah. party at the end of the day. You might learn some lessons from it, but, yeah. um, it, the the original mantra was just come out and ride whatever you got and let's hang out and do what you do. But um, as you were alluding to, the competition gets stiffer, the sponsors get more attracted to it, and things their best more serious tone kind of approaches. So mm-hmm. our hope is that we can just continue to be true to who we are and what we like and what we're about, and we think we're doing that today. We think we'll do that tomorrow and next year and the year after that. Um, and we'll just kind of go along for the ride and, and try to be the best leaders and ambassadors for gravel that we can be. Sure. And that it speaks to how fluid the sport is. And, and I think it will take time to figure out what gravel does become. Um, I mean, I think one thing that's really nice about it now, and who knows the direction it goes, is traditional road racing is all about chasing points. And this certainly is. I mean, I'm chasing a belt buckle. I'm not chasing a $1,000 check. Um, I think I think the democratization of it, it, it allows... Uh, man... It, it is what it's supposed to be. Um, I think what's really fun is that you end up with your people. You end up with your tribe. If you're yeah. hyper-competitive and you're in the aero bars, yeah, you're going to be riding with other people in the aero bars and you're duking it out. If you're total mid-pack finishing, you know, in 20 hours, like, you have a tribe there and you guys are in it for, uh, mm. uh, you know, a, a very equal sense of camaraderie. And then everybody is racing for that finish, whether it's a, you know, finishing chocolate milk or finishing sudsy beer and then hanging out in that in that circus festival i think it's awesome here virtually any other gravel event i've done um the the community is what really sets it apart as opposed to that hyper competitive finish up have a recovery protein shake hop in your car and go home well and you'd made a comment i think recently in an interview um forgive me if i'm misquoting you but it was something to the effect of in in a typical road racing scenario you get dropped you miss the selection your day's done you probably pull out and uh you go home and, and stew over it until you go race the next road racer crit right yes sir yeah. and, in, and in gravel racing um you're totally stoked for the dudes that just dropped you and you're like oh sweet i'm gonna settle into my own rhythm maybe mm-hmm. some dudes catch me from behind maybe i catch back up to the dudes in front of me because mm-hmm. um the law averages says something bad's gonna happen to them you know <laughs> in the way of flats or mechanicals just like it may have happened to you and the general vibe is is that you're happy for one another and yeah um, because all at the end of the day all it is is a belt buckle and so hey all right if this is in your year and something goes wrong great ride and smile with whoever's around you bingo yep that speaks to my past two years uh i had really crap luck last year yeah i i crossed the line and i swore right then and there oh my gosh i gotta come back i gotta redeem myself and had a great deal of luck i had an amazing support crew this year and yeah couldn't have been happier so Really, really cool thing that is gravel. That is yeah, dirty cancer. Sure. Um, what else you got? You got anything? Well, uh, let me flip the script on you because you know you're Uh-oh. sitting there talking about <clears throat> the riders that are that it's attracting and and uh, you know for us folks uh, who are just the fanboys, you you are that pro that you know that we follow and watch on TV and that sort of thing. Uh, the kind of folks that we're talking about that these events are attracting, but uh, you know why 
why was this such an important event for you or why are gravel events so important for you to now target? Um, even if your sponsors are or are not encouraging that, I, I kind of get the vibe that this is something you want to do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That is the fact. Um, retired from traditional bike racing in 2015 and really had no idea what I would be doing subsequently. I knew I wanted to ride my bike and Okay, I mean that was three years ago, and and even then I feel like that was sort of the 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 nascent stage of gravel. I mean it was still young, but then you look at Grasshopper Adventure Series, twenty years old. You guys, thirteen years old. It's it's figured itself out a little bit. So I knew the vibe was fun. I I had heard of events like uh, Dirty Kansas specifically. I was at a SRAM event. I was at South by Southwest with SRAM uh, in about March of 2016, and Rebecca Rush was there. And, of course, I knew her name. That was the first time I met her. And she's like, DK, you got to come here. You got to come to Emporia. You got to race your bike. And I'm like, eh, okay, that sounds outstanding. Let's go to to Kansa. Um, Yeah, great deal of success and and just absolutely fell in love with the community. The, The vibe here is unlike anything else. I said I needed to, I needed to keep this thing going. And it's funny, you know, like you... At the award ceremony, there's the Thousand Mile Club. There's the folks who finished five Dirty Kansas, which is a huge undertaking. I'm like, I want, I want to do that. Uh, I begin to question that at, again, mile 150, going to a blasting 25 mile an hour headwind um, all the way home, and think, my goodness, do I have it in me to finish two more of these? I don't know. Um, but yeah, give it a, a couple days, weeks, months, and I'll be back on the. The momentum band bike. I've got to tell you, man, not having known you all that well, you know, it, it, until recently as we develop our friendship, mm-hmm. um, there are moments where I sit back and think, man, are the Tet Kings of the world really digging? Are they really enjoying crushing a hundred? I mean, <laughs> basically from Eureka, Kansas, which is the halfway point back to Emporia, uh, you get a little bit of east to west, which just means it's a crosswind. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the 90% of that is headwind. And I'm like, what's going through his mind right now is he totally hating life and what questioning his decisions yeah and i i talk a lot about you you go into a very deep dark place and you know what's the what's the quote like you don't suffer anymore you just go faster so i mean i'm suffering just as bad as virtually everybody else out there thankfully i can do it a little bit quicker so i have to suffer less long but maybe at a higher power output uh it's it's brutal, man. I mean, I really started questioning. And oh, it's funny because at the around that mile marker, you begin to catch the 50 mile people and catch the 100 mile people, but you know that there's also people chasing you. So you get into this really dark place. You're like, that person, that speck on the horizon, is that my competition? Do they feel way better than me or are they about to crush me? Um, yeah, no doubt. I question my sanity. It's, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a doozy out there. Okay, I fear we may uh, dance around this and tiptoe out of this podcast without really getting into the nitty-gritty of what I think probably what folks are wanting to hear. And so uh, now I'm hijacking your podcast, so if we run out of time, you can just cut this off. But um, let's just get to it. We can both fire off here, but um, uh, showing up with a team to to pull you to victory. This is curious. So in my three years of racing, they were – there were certainly hitters my first year, and then last year, that that number quadrupled. And this year, it's like name your pro, and they're either there or want to be there. Aero bars, hot topic. Those are 
they were uh, the winner last year. Matt Stevens had them, and I think a lot of people were, were intrigued by them. And um, they were there in droves this year, arrow bars. And certainly teams are an issue. Not issue. Teams are an element of contemporary gravel racing. Um, in the current state, and who knows the direction it goes, the competition is such that, and the, and the, the course is such that, um, you will sort out. So similar to what I was saying is like, you will, you'll end up with your people, you know, the race goes hard enough and teams can be a non-factor, um, where it will be a factor is early on in the race. If people, if, if a team has large numbers, you can start sending people up the road. But what's cool about an event like DK, if you throw somebody up the road, like they may or may not make it. And chances are they're not like, you can tell which guys are the dummy attacks, which, which one are going to get reeled in two, three, four hours later. So I'm not concerned about that. Um, I, I was doing events earlier this year, uh, back in home, California, and there was a, there was huge team representation. There were eight dudes on one team and it's a, it's a strong team and it's a reputable team. And I thought that was great at the time. I mean, they won the race. I ended up getting second or third and I thought it's great. It's like, there's more people coming out to this, this growing event. Um, and if that's the direction that, that gravel ends up taking, I think it's a good thing. Um, for the time being, if it starts changing, then I might question that response. Sure, sure. Personally, for me, yeah, I'm, I mean, Midwest gravel is is what what I know. That's where we ride and, and race, and at Kansas especially, I just don't see it working, so I don't sure. dwell on it a whole lot. Like you're talking about, okay, you know, you could send me up the road as your domestique because that's plausible, and uh, <laughs> who knows what could happen to me? I could get stomach cramps in the heat. I could get three flat tires, yeah. and you're going to pass me yeah. on the side of the road thinking, well, that didn't work. Um, so I just really don't see it that plausible. And I don't think if it is being employed, I don't think it's being employed effectively. And so it personally, it's not something I loved seeing. I'm not going to sit there and judge someone if they con their friend into sitting on the front for him for a little bit and blocking the wind. That's cool. Do what you guys want to do. I just don't think it's going to work, um, to great, great effect. So it was funny. Uh, There is a team here in particular. They um, have gone public in, I haven't read the article yet, but the Velo News article is they are the sky of gravel racing. And this is Panaracer. Um, last year's winner, Matt Stevens, is on that team. And they, they have great dudes on that team. Um, social, fun, interesting, fast people. And, of course, that is a team to watch. And then <laughs> yesterday, Velocio um, has their athlete ambassadors. And the athlete ambassadors wore the, the matching, very cool white radiator jersey. We're not teammates. A couple of us are buddies, um, but we're not teammates. So when, when Panerazer approaches us and asks if our team is going to work, our response is just sort of like to chortle and say, we're not, we're not a team. We're just a bunch of dudes wearing the same kit. What are we going to do? So, yeah, uh, totally accurate. At an event like this, there are so many variables that can go wrong, um, and chances are some of them will, so that team aspects won't affect the outcome of the race. Aero bars, I have stronger feelings about. Um, you, given that this is your event, you're welcome to do any, absolutely anything you want. I I hope that they're socially ostracized so much so that they are banned. Admittedly, I used them yesterday, and they were certainly something of a secret weapon, and they are faster. And I will. So, did you just to- admit to using a banned uh, a banned substance that you a substance you want banned? 
I used something that is within the rules. <laughs> yeah. I used something that's to within the rules. And, and so long as they're within the rules, I for will sure. keep using them. And I can't wait for them to be outlawed. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. You know, uh, Dirty Cans are rookie, Jeff Kabush, yes. um, made his opinion on the matter quite well known. Sure did. In no uncertain terms. Uh-huh. And uh, that was the first time. And I, and I think I understand his humor enough to see mm-hmm. you know, what he was really trying to go with there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it does force us to think about it a little bit sooner because as a race promoter, what I don't want to have to do is be reactive to a situation whereas they're banned because a bad crash has occurred. Yep. Um, and so that's something we'll probably going to have to have a conversation about and, and really analyze and and what we tip, typically do is go to the other promoters that we love and respect mm-hmm. and say what do you think about this mm-hmm. uh, we're not alone in this game and i won't sit here and say that uh, every great idea we've had is ours yeah. um, we kick it around we put it in the think tank and we say what's the what's the right thing here that's a great process um yeah it's interesting if you get in the aero position in a group of two thousand people that's frightening and it's dangerous and it's um i don't really care how good you are in the position it's not a good position to be in um and unfortunately you can't enact that kind of rule you can't say okay as long as there's uh n number of people around you is it 20 is it 50 is it 100 is it 2000 as long as there's that many people you can't be in the position but later on in the race because the roads are wide open then go for it there's no enforcing that no no and then you know in the in the an event like DK with 2,700 people, there are a lot of people n- relatively new to, to gravel riding and racing, and they certainly are going to benefit from that. So they can finish the 200. So they can finish the 100. They can finish the 50. It is the advantage of the aero bars. Um, so, you know, shoot. It's, it's, I totally empathize with where you are. It's a hard thing to do, and, and, it, and it sort of speaks to the the fun welcoming nature of the gravel community you don't want to say no you can't do it you can't ban. you don't want to ban something outright but you know that's what's also cool about it this is your event you can do whatever the heck you want darn right darn right um here's one for you i don't know how much experience you have with this one mud or no mud to hike a bike oh, or to not hike a bike should a promoter uh seek to avoid uh dirt roads if conditions arise like uh we had here the, uh, yesterday morning, i was gonna say was that part th- of the reason we had this 20 minute detour where we no one really knew garments were completely wrong yeah 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 that was fascinating a front group (laughs) there are there are a lot of people out on course um um fans you you tend to see them you know at mile one at mile 50 you'd see them the entire day and we get to a particular intersection this is me informing the listener what the story is we got to one particular intersection and there were more people than average there are about 10 people at this particular intersection and they're lining both sides of the cross streets and just pointing straight and everybody's garment is beeping frantically turn left turn left turn left <laughs> they're like oh, okay i guess we're just gonna keep on going and uh, all the hitters are here so uh, we're all gonna do this together understanding that there was probably a big money section um Two out of the three dirty Kansas I've done, we've had that totally unforecasted deluge the evening before. Thankfully, we haven't had anything. I say thankfully because it just sounds miserable. Like the year that Yuri won, 2015, um, where it was oh, hike yeah. a bike for hours and hours. Uh, so I can't totally speak to it. I think you know it was muddy, it was messy, it was sloppy. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of people walking yesterday, and I'm sure a handful of people tore derailers off. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of the game. It's part of the, 
you got luck. You don't have luck. You're going to get flat tires. You're going to have the patience to not tear your derailleur off. I mean, I don't know. Sort of figure it out. Yeah. As you do. Just from our, our side of things, I mean, Dirty Kansas is, is a race, but it's an adventure race. I mean, we flat out call this an adventure race. And so to us, um, this isn't just about finding the smoothest, buffest roads. That's called road racing. And so um, I think for us, we definitely want to try to uh, strike a happy medium, you know. And part of the problem is, you know, 10 miles in and you've got you know, a thousand, 200 mile riders still together, that yeah. proves a little more problematic. But as the, if there's something late in stay, you know, in Lake three, um, we might leave that in hoping that the sun and the wind kind of dry that out a little bit more and see what happens from there, but it stays. And if it's still peanut buttery, yeah. you go for it. Bring your jelly. Yeah. Um, th- we get the late night rain, we get the afternoon rain. Does it ever, this time of year, do you ever get like a 10 AM rain or, I mean, it is baking out there. Can you, <laughs> Can you plan the forecast like that? Well, there's a couple of reasons it's baking. And part of it is just Mother Nature doing what she does. And the other part is there's no trees for you. No. You are completely exposed. Yeah. I mean, had you, and yesterday's conditions, by all accounts, should have been pretty darn decent. Mid-80s. Yeah. Windy, yes. mind you, but that wind was coming Overcast out of the north. In the morning. And that's what was cooling things off. But um you're just so exposed. It's the exposure and you are under the sun the entire time. And so, um, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe I could make it 75 and partly cloudy for you some year. Um, but uh, short of that, this is probably as good as it's going to get in terms of temps. Fact. So that's hilarious. Um, you know, okay. So here's to go along with that question. Here was a tip I was just told recently Mm -hmm. and it's the, it's the sleeves. It's the, the white, uh, you know, the SPF 50, (laughs) uh, you know, the sleeves that you wear to keep the sun off you. And the advantage to that is, is, um, it's reflecting the light. It's not burning your flesh when Mm -hmm. you're, when you're sunburnt, you're, you're going to be dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe there are some advantages and tips that we can start diving into on how to um, create your own shade. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, right, you got chamois butter here as a sponsor, mm-hmm. and, and that's a, a, a tender area that you should look after, so certainly that sponsor makes sense. Um, I'm a huge fan, not a sponsored athlete, of Endurance Shield, the sunscreen company. I mean, I think the expo should be filled with sunscreen companies. Huh. Um yeah, that is. You got some crazy conditions out here. It is <laughs> most certainly exposed. You come rolling into the mm, final fifty miles or so, you start to see a handful more trees, and there are a lot of people just parked on the side of the road, taking in that that tiny reprieve from the sun. Well, if you if you complain to a Kansan, or I'll broaden that to a Midwesterner, if you complain to a Midwesterner about the weather, they'll just say, "We'll wait an hour." Huh. Eh. Well, um, you should move to New England. You only have to wait 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Even better. Um, what okay, else so you you're, got? You're I know you're exhausted. You're, okay, yeah, no, keep going. Dude, you're, keep rolling. You're moving back to uh, New England. You're going back yeah. to the Northeast. So uh-huh. tell me what gravel is going to be like for you up there. I mean, what are you heading to? Uh, fantastic question. So earlier this spring, we did Belgian Waffle Ride, my wife and I, 1,300 people in San Diego. And you got a huge California contingency. A lot of people, 1,300 people in a, what, eight or nine-year-old event. No surprise. We flew directly to Vermont from there, and we're in northern Vermont. It's literally uh, like snow flurrying. There's snow banks all over the place. It's freaking freezing. And that's New England, and 1,300 people show up in northern Vermont at Rasputitsa, also a great event. 
So, man, I mean, I'm, we're moving to Vermont. Um, the number of dirt roads there and gravel roads there and opportunities to go off road are they're they're freaking endless. So I think I think like I was talking about earlier, it's it's a lot of people's dream to have an event and I want to create a community. And then I, I realize it's not as easy as flipping a switch and saying, boom, come to the Ted King spectacular. It's like this is a boatload of work. Do you think? I <laughs> I think you're giving us a compliment in there. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's absolute hats uh, off. Yeah. It's, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is hard. And um, yeah, I, I definitely hope you find that. And uh, when the Ted King Spectacular takes off on gravel roads uh, in the New England states, sign me up. Let me know the date brilliant. and uh, we'll be there. Um, yeah, December is, 3rd in the heart of a snowstorm. Okay, cool. Just kidding. Uh, no problem. Uh, as I was telling you before we got on here, I used to uh, live in upstate New York, so yes. I'm familiar with the winters and I don't find them harsh. I just find them long. So mm -hmm. the cold mm -hmm. won't scare me if I'm just there for the weekend. I can come back home to perfect uh, what an did, early spring. You guys get a pretty fierce winter here. A fierce in the sense of nonstop north wind with nothing to break it. Yeah, there's, yeah. we don't get much precipitation anymore. As a okay. as a wee lad, I used to build tunnels in the snow, and now we barely get a dusting. And yeah. so, um, but uh, what makes it tough here is the few weeks that are just wind chill below whatever, and just nasty to be out. You're literally in ski goggles and a balaclava, and yeah. just you don't want any. Kind of like the sun, you don't want any skin exposed. Yeah. Yeah, the immediately white just yeah. frostbitten but the good thing is is that's only a few weeks are okay. we i mean in december here it's hitting 50 60s for the highs mm -hmm. and we're out riding on the winter solstice like it's a spring ride so no yeah and then uh, we'll ramp back up early march and it's hitting springtime again so it's just so short-lived here that uh makes it tolerable right on well yeah i'm i'm with you i mean i feel like same story i was a wee lad uh, romping all over New England, and we got a ton more snow than we get now. And I think uh, that explains why you got days in the 70s in January back in New England. And then, oh man, the winter this year was just ferocious. It went straight into April. So, global weirding, man. All right, new direction. Um, do you have a fat bike today? And if you don't, will you be getting one? No. Yes. I don't own one. I own certainly a lot of bicycles. Um, Cannondale makes some great ones. So, I trust that. Upon the first dusting of snow, I'll be I'll be knocking on their door. Nice. Yeah. No, we. Uh, that was part of the convincing of Laura to come east. So she had been to the East Coast seven times with me over the past uh, well course of our relationship, two years plus, and <sighs> mysteriously, every time she came east, the weather was perfect. It was either like pristine foliage or bright sunshiny day, or like you know midsummer when the humidity can be fierce. It was like calm and, and 72 degrees. It was perfect. So of course I would begin to enter the conversation. Hey, it's not always this good. And we have a winter and it's, it's something real. Laura is a Seattle gal who has been in, uh, California for the past seven years. So it took a little convincing and the punchline here and so we went east for a handful of meetings and it was February and it was nine degrees. At some point we experienced, uh, absolute dumping of snow and then sort of the subsequent 45 degree warm up. So we literally had every condition you would expect in the winter and we went fat biking and she loved it. And she's like, all right, I get it. You can, you can go outside in the winter too. Let's do it. 
so that was that was super helpful nice yeah but and now uh, we haven't discussed even why you're going back to the I mean, i'm sure you've told your listeners plenty of times but um you've got a, a venture mm-hmm. uh, of your own making yes sir so um yeah i don't know if i have touched upon it it's it's a it's a handful of reasons so i currently live in one of the most expensive counties and towns in america i don't know why uh, i call professional cycling a professional blue collar sport we're not making baseball football basketball hockey salaries um great riding out there great community so you know it's been uh i met my wife out there it was it was awesome so we're we're seeking more hospitable uh expenditure areas uh, my family is back east and then a large part of it is with untapped so owning a fledgling maple syrup company which is based out of richmond vermont um that's where the partners are based that's where we fulfill that's where um the company is based and i want to take a little bit of bigger role there i mean the company's growing really really well without <laughs> really anyone uh, completely at the helm so you know just more synergy that you can get live and in person as opposed to over a computer screen or text message or whatever it is so i mean yeah i'd love to i i really hope to continue doing exactly what i'm doing they work synergistically to go to an event to come to here to go to to continue the product launches and and product development working with sponsors and at the same time hawk maple syrup it's pretty pretty good gig well, uh, as a ravenous sweet tooth myself mm. and having spent a couple of brief years up in, uh, that region and we, you know, the, the place I was working and living, we bottled our own and, Brilliant. um, bring it on. Love yeah, it. buddy. <laughs> We've, we got a great relationship here with the DK fans because after 10, 12, 14, 20 hours, people have taken so many sports nutrition products and they're just you know they can't fathom it i heard a great story yesterday they came into pit three uh this is a a new friend eric he saw his wife he emptied his pockets which were full of sports nutrition and at which point you're supposed to have eaten everything and and be onloading more product he dumped his full pockets out and said the only thing i want right now is that maple syrup stuff and you know that's that's the charm of it it's got this like ethereal real flavor it's not just another punch to the face of fake sugars uh got the sugars yeah well i should use my airtime to you know to at least give a shout out to goo energy labs who has been our sponsor fair and i love the product but um yuri hoswald brand ambassador for them good friend um Mm -hmm. of mine um probably yours as well Mm -hmm. he'd be the first to tell you um that you should probably have a little variety in your diet and especially at an event like dirty kansas where palate fatigue is a real thing Mm -hmm. um you should definitely think about adding in a few new flavors and sweets into your uh into your dirty cans of diet um by my math yesterday i gotta go straight untapped product plug and totally agree goo is a wonderful sponsor of this event uh yuri is awesome my wife used to work for goo so great folks i had approximately 3200 calories of untapped product because now that we have variety um we have two drink mixes i drank a ton of untapped maple aid um i had about 10 untapped maple packets no six maple packets and four coffee packets a little flavor variety there and then uh, about i think five or six waffles of our three flavors so it got me through it felt like a million bucks ironically this is the first year i haven't cramped i had one minor twinge at the end which was pretty debilitating for about 30 seconds and then i, I pushed through that so yes uh palate fatigue great word it definitely hits hard here so you go into that 
feed station three and you say, I want pizza. I want popcorn. I want pickles. <laughs> and I had the foresight this year to actually go buy pickles. Um, crazy. Okay. I'm going to drop a bomb on you. All right. Um, Bear in mind at any point, you're allowed to be like, I was expecting a 20 minute conversation. You're allowed to be like, Dude, I'm going to go to sleep. I, I sleep. totally get that. We're probably pushing the limits of how long people want to listen to us. <laughs> uh, me in particular, but I'm going to keep rolling until people, until you start losing clicks, you know, when you start to see the drop off rate, right. we should have done this would know. it would have been <laughs> too much. Um, but we're talking about food and you're talking about pizza and wanting that. And, and we cannot have that conversation without talking Casey's general yeah. store. Yeah. So have you, tasted the sweet nectar that is casey's pizza no and i'm i'm oh. so glad you brought that up unsolicited because when i talked to dan dan was going into the dk xl 350 miles self-supported he said a large portion of his diet was going to consist of casey's pizza i've never had casey's pizza i'm i have no idea what to picture the only thing i'm i'm picturing based on stories is it's it's akin to a, a 7-Eleven hot dog that's spinning yeah. in hot dog format, and this is going in pizza DJ right, format. Right. Yeah, man, you've yeah. got a good visual of what's happening. And are they individual? I mean, Dan was describing it sort of yeah, as yeah. an individual personal well, pan pizza. Yeah, so you can get by the slice, or you can order a, a whole pizza. Uh, for sure. Various sizes, or is a small? You just, I think they do small, medium, large. Uh, now you're testing my Casey's pizza knowledge. Okay. But yeah. Um, Can you make, is it a sit down pizza joint or is everything just like, no, it's order get, what's, what it, you get got? out of there. Yeah. All right. Here's your pizza and go sit on the curb is what it usually is. So. Oh wow. That's a good <laughs> byline. Here's your pizza. Give us your money and go outside. Not an <laughs> they don't say that in words. That's just, there's nowhere to sit. So what are yeah. you going to do? That's awesome. So Casey's okay. K-A-C-E-Y. Correct. What's that? K-A-C-E-Y. Okay. C-A-S-E-Y, Casey's. Right on. So there's three right here in Emporia. So I challenge you to uh, hit one up before you I depart. I certainly hope I can. Challenge I accepted. Flight in a few hours. I got a hunger, <laughs> a brewing. Um, well, you haven't slept, and it's yeah. now, what, 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and I haven't had breakfast. So <laughs> what do you reckon? Uh, that makes two of us. Are we you inviting depart. me to breakfast? Is that, one, one final question. So this this is always on my mind, um, especially when when someone like yourself wins. I mean, is there a sense of obligation that now you're coming oh. back for a fourth Kansas? Final question. Brutal. So I finished with dumb luck and won my first one in 2016. And you have a great board that you sign. Every finisher goes up and signs a Sharpie. And I think I wrote something to the effect of, I think i'll come back dot 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 question mark yeah, you and did. i i wrote that I, I meant to say i don't ever want to come back exclamation point it was so freaking hard and i was dying a thousand deaths and you know through some miracle i won it it did take a handful of months to be like all right i'm gonna come back i'm i i want to honor this number one i didn't win a lot of bike races as a domestique in the pro tour so yeah it's a great event i'm ecstatic and i think basically that means distance and time makes the heart grow fonder i just forgot all the miserable miserable parts last year a lot of dumb luck i crossed that finish line and on the spot i was like i'm coming back i gotta redeem myself so now in 2018 having just won i'm i'm feeling much more of year 2016. it's gonna take a little while but I, I really enjoyed racing with that number one and 
probably see in about 363 days. <laughs> well, my two cents is as much as we always want you back. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with going out on the swan song, hit the home run and, and, <laughs> and never returning. So, yep. Fact. Um, but maybe we'll, we'll find other ways to keep you involved if you're not going to race it. So, man, I wonder at what point does somebody just straight up retire from gravel racing? <laughs> I think I'm done with this foolishness. I'm going to get into unicycling and juggling. Uh, well, let me know when you're about 80 and you're ready to start chasing uh, Masters National Championships yeah, across or something. <laughs> That's cutthroat, man. Those guys are fierce. All right, amigo. Leland, Leland Danes, DK Promotions? Productions. Uh, promotions. DK Promotions. Common mistake. Yeah, I think I've probably said it misspoken a handful of times. Leland Danes of Dirty Kanza. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Go get yourself some sleep. Um, we will be talking most certainly in the next few months, and I hope to see you one year's time. No doubt. Thanks, brother. Thanks.